You're listening to Irish Radio Candidate Home and Abroad and on Ireland's ancient each east. Right on the Waterford Greenway is a beautiful, beautiful house and gardens, and that is Congrave House and Gardens. And Ray Sinnott is here with me. Uh, Ray, thanks for taking the time and coming along for a chat and going to tell us all about what we're going to see, a little bit of the history of the place and all the rest of it. Great, great to have you here. So, straight out, um, the property itself, privately owned or county councillor, who's the... It's, it's one of those, it, it was a complicated situation that became a very easy to run situation. The grounds initially were purchased from the council in the 1740s by a man called Ambrose Congreve. And then it passed through six generations of Congreves up until 2011 with the death of the last of the Congreves, Mr. Ambrose Congreve. It then was held in trust for Ireland up until 2032 and there was a little bit of inaction with the trusts that were in charge so I made approaches to the local council to say could they get on board to get involved so it is a private trust and that runs up until 2032 and then it will officially be handed over to the Minister of Finance and become the property of Ireland but at the moment it's a private trust that's who I answer to three members on that trust and they are appointed by the CEO of the local authority, Waterford City and County Council. So the funding then is primarily coming from the county with some coming from central government? No. no. All the funding comes from what we make here in the cafe and on the kiosk. We have yet to receive a cent in state funding. Now what we have done, thankfully, is we applied under the Rural Regeneration Development Fund, which is from Europe, to redevelop rural areas that have suffered in the last economic crash and so forth to develop this area and create employment and try and keep people in these areas and we were successful in that application and we will start to draw down money from that for the improvements we'll do in the gardens the second round will be improvements to the house then we'll add a marina out on the river and different things like that part of what we will do will add to the interpretive story that we will tell the story of the Congreves okay so then as I mentioned in the intro there we're right on the edge of the Greenway and that only opened what about two years ago it opened um, yeah two years ago March two years ago it opened and it's now welcoming over 240,000 users a year which is an incredible amount of people part of the estate when we tell people we're right beside and right on the greenway to explain it better we donated two kilometers of ground about five meters wide so that the greenway could be completed that's how close we are to it so we have our own entrance onto it we have our own purpose-built train platform for the local shore valley um, tourist train that runs from Kilmeaden the the village of Kilmeaden will eventually run into the city of Waterford it it stops about a mile outside it at the moment so someone that's on the Greenway can actually access and come straight in off the Greenway right come into the gardens if they choose or if not the majority of them we had about 13,000 visitors so far this year from the Greenway which doesn't sound like a lot in the grand scheme of things but given that we, we don't advertise deliberately because we're about to reinvigorate all the pathways so we don't want large numbers in here at the moment until we're ready to cater for them right so 13,000 out of 
250 hotels and it's a very very small amount. Now when you say you're about to reinvigorate, when do you hope to have the, the place ready that you'll accept large groups of a busload of people of Canadians arrive over, when are you hopeful? At any time, we take Canadians <laughs> as it is we take you Can, yeah, Canadians are used to, used to the rough terrain yeah. <laughs> but we do, we actually, we do guided tours and many different levels of guided tours from just general guided tours of people who want to walk around the gardens and learn a little bit up until completely bespoke tours where we have people learn about propagation um, taking signs as they're called from plants and produce their own plant which if it, if it takes, if it strikes as we call it then it can be named after a person so we do every, every type of tour here and we, we welcome up on about 70 bus tours so far this year including right. some from Canada we, I can't think of the guy's name now his, his tour group was called Billy's Best Bottles and okay. I got all excited when I heard it right. but um, he didn't have any bottles for us he just had <laughs> a group of tourists but it was fine so we do, we do bus tours but the official new grand opening of the gardens is due for April 2021 Okay. so okay. the real work will be sticking shovels in the ground come October next year is right. when all the usual red tape I should say, I won't say nonsense, but red tape nonsense has to be gone through first before right. we start all that. So Ray, you mentioned that you approached the authorities, local authorities, or to this, you had a vision. What's your own background and what got you going that you felt there was an opportunity here? Um, I, I started my career, if it could be called that, in what was then Mount Congreve Wholesale Nurseries, which is about, it's, it's about a, a mile to the east of where we are now. And it was a, just a wholesale nursery and we would produce plants. And then I further training in the gardens as part of that. I then, like a lot of people in Ireland, left. There was just, there was no work here. And I left and I ended up in Holland to complete my studies in horticulture and then Germany. And then on from there, I spent about seven years, including about two years in Canada. And then I came back here in 1997 and stayed and then in 2006 I was a, I, I, I didn't work here I had a few different jobs in Ireland but always something to do with horticulture or landscaping or something like that in 2006 I came back here as an assistant production manager in the nursery and then worked my way up to become the estate manager in August 2014 right. and the vision I had for it then was the same that I had now to share the place with the people because it was a private estate it was a private garden built for Mr. Congreve's pleasure nobody saw it it would right. open up for the requisite eight days a year so he could claim any improvements that he put against the gardens and the house could be set against his tax bill Okay. so it was open for eight days of the year they picked Thursday because they figured there'd be nobody around on a Thursday and we would just have, at that time they were welcoming maybe 200 visitors a year right. and the next year we opened up and it's one of those counterintuitive things, it was free and we had 400 people a year the first thing I did when I was appointed estate manager, which was a bit Monty Barnes of me I know was apply a charge right. to apply value to it, yes. and the following year we had 4,000 visitors, right? just like that, because yes. we just simply applied well, value. Well, you get what you pay for. Yes. If it's free, you get it. You people, consider people it's worth no yeah. It was unbelievable. And I, I know that because I'm from here. And right. I know that people that think, that's free, how good could it be? Yeah. And now we've welcomed over 50,000 visitors this year. Right. And we plan on bringing that up to about 150,000 per year. 
and I would like to cap it at that. Now I don't know how we're going to do that given what we have here and the size of it, but underneath it all my main job is to protect and preserve the gardens that we have here. Okay, so what we don't want is situations like they have in, and I, I'm friends with the people who run it, so I know many of the problems they have in Paris Court, right. who welcome 400,000 people a year. We don't have the capacity for that, and the plants will suffer, and ultimately it comes down to the plants and their protection and the trees, and that's what I mean to, I want people to enjoy them, but I want people to enjoy them for the next 150, 250 right. years, and right. that's the way I see it. Right. So the idea was open it up, get as many people in here as possible to enjoy it, and, and spread the knowledge. Now, when you say it hasn't the capacity, I hear what you say on one level, and yet it's a huge estate. You said what, 70 it, it has, it's 70 acres of yeah. woodland gardens, including the four acre wall garden. The gardens, of course, has the capacity Physi for business. Physically. Physically, absolutely. But, but the facilities yes. are just not there. Now, we're fine. We have a cafe. We have toilets up and in and around the gardens. Yeah. But it's just not enough for the and quality of, of experience. Right, because, again, what the concern, I'm sure, would be that if once it goes beyond a certain point, the ability to police where people go and the, the, the visitor traffic doesn't damage, as you say. They, in, within reason, like yeah. there is some, even that goes on, by, by, by our nature, Irish people are prone to, they'll take a little piece off of this plant and try and grow it at home. And that, to a degree, is fine. We accept that. I climbed trees and stole apples from orchards when I was a kid. And right. I, I like, <laughs> without making it too criminal, I would like to encourage that. We, right. we don't stop the kids when they go scrumping the apples. I think that's, right. that's part of growing up. There's a right. lot of kids can't do that anymore. Right. So it would be the capacity issues that I see is here in the yard, in, in the, yard. the shop, in the cafe, in the toilets. You don't want people queuing up. You need to right. come in so that the experience is enjoyable from start to finish. That's where the capacity worries me. So, Red, before we move into the garden and get a sense of that, again, go back to the geography of the place here. If somebody is going to look for this place on the map, um, physically we're between... Dungarvan and Waterford? Yes, we're about 10 minutes drive from Waterford City Centre, which is in the southeast of Ireland, and then it would be about 2 minutes drive from the main M9 motorway. Right. If, you, if they come in over what will be called the new bridge up until they build the next bridge. <laughs> it's always going to be the new bridge. Come across the toll. So we're, we're about 90 minutes from Dublin. Right. We're about 90 minutes from Cork. So yeah. it's ideally located that people can come down and enjoy nature in all its finest and get out of the hustle and bustle of the city. And I know when people um, want to go to an area, they're always interested in taking in a few things and not wanting to detract from what's here physically. Uh, we mentioned the Greenway. Mm -hmm. That's right on your doorstep. And then the bay is right on your doorstep. Are there some others? I noticed there's a Japanese garden sign for that. There's, there's a lot of things. And actually, the Japanese garden has been twinned with a garden from, I'll say Manitoba, and I hope I'm correct, the Nikiyoko Gardens. Okay and they were here this year and I met the, the Canadian ambassador at that, Kevin Vickers. Kevin Vickers was here, yes. yes. Kevin has since he's gone he's back since since. Gone. Yeah. But um, yeah, so, so there is, there's, there's the Japanese gardens in Tremor. There is the Viking Triangle inside in the city with three museums in there, medieval the, and the King of the Vikings, and that would be spread out. We had the Viking longboat here up until two weeks ago. You have Dunmore East uh, Fishing Village, which is still a working fishing village, and that they're all in about a 15-minute drive from here. Right. There are many other gardens in Waterford and even up along the east coast as part of Ireland's ancient east. Powers Court, I mentioned already, Kilruddery, 
Rusborough. There's Curramore House and Gardens about 20 minutes drive towards Dungarvan. But there are, there is a lot of things to see here, even if you just go up the mountains and have a look up in Man Falls or Croke Woods. So basically if someone's looking at an itinerary, it's worth allocating two, three days to this area? Two, three days, without a doubt. And, and there's work being done as, a, as a, a cluster between Waterford Council and Wexford Council. I was just at that meeting yesterday to spread it out. Um, the funding that we applied for to improve the gardens, New Ross applied for to okay. create a whole new called Wexfordia and that's going to tell the story from the Vikings up as far as the Normans okay and so there is there even if you go down around Wexford to Loftus Hall or Hookhead Lighthouse there there is plenty to see and do in and around the southeast of Ireland so when somebody arrives here and they um, go through the gate into the gardens I know they're presented with a board that identifies a whole series of walks ranging from I thought I saw about 25 minutes right up to about two and a half hours yeah. and uh, I noticed also that it was very informative in that it advised on one of the walks I noticed in particular that it was more suitable for good footwear so that a lot of work has been done to give somebody before they actually set a foot on a walk a good orientation of what to expect and uh, that they can allocate the amount of time that they have and attune their visit to be appropriate. Yeah, because there are there's something to see in the gardens all year round. But but I mentioned it earlier. Not everybody is a gardener, or not everybody thinks they're a gardener. And it may be that you just want a nice walk around. Mm -hmm. So we've identified those walks from anything from, like you said, 25 minutes to go in and do the wall garden out as far as the greenway. You can look up the river just to see that the river shore up until two-hour walk that is self-guided that you can find as, as many things as you want. There's, there's 16 kilometres of paths in this garden alone. Right. Now, when you say self-guided, because that was the other thing I noticed, is there's numbers on a variety of all scattered throughout, and in some places I know they said track two, track three. There, there's a, an audio guide. We have an audio guide that is also available in French, German, and Spanish. Right. And we'll add Chinese and Polish, believe it or not, because the largest community in this area is the Polish community, right. second to the Irish community. So the, those numbers correspond with the audio guides, but there are other numbers and they are part of different trails that we do. The Magnolia Trail, the Camellia Trail, the Rhododendron Trail, okay. earlier in the year because people are interested. Right. And rather than they're not going to walk back when they see or they come back with a picture and you can't really do any justification with the cameras. So it is, we, we number them, hand out a sheet so they go from 1 to 20 and find particular magnolias or camellias. So right. that's the two, the two different numbers. Which raises a whole other thing, which is saying that this is 12 months of the year of a garden. Of the year. So consequently, if somebody comes in the spring, they're going to see one scene, whereas if they come back in the summer, totally different, and again, autumn, totally different. It moves around in the gardens, and that's why we have it four seasons of the year. And we, it, it's, a, it's a bit of a claim, but we stick to it. You can see flowers at every time of year here. Right. If you go in different parts of the gardens, and that's the idea behind the pathways as well. But it, it is essentially a spring garden. It's at its absolute finest from March up until June. But the, the colours move from at the start of the year with the spring, it's up around the camellias, which is up past the house at the very western end of the garden. Right. And that slowly moves down through the spring with the magnolias and it comes down into the wall garden where we are at the very easternmost part of the garden and that comes into its own in June. That's when it's an incredible display. Okay. And then July 
and August remains in the wall garden and up along the river walk and now we're back into the late flowering camellias we're back up to the top of the gardens That's, it, 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 it always, I, I try and tell people and you'll know it from being in there it gives you a very good sense of time everybody's always in a rush including me, it's always deadlines I've got to do this, I've yeah, got to yeah. do that yeah. but being in a garden like this will remind you autumn's coming Winter right. is coming. The yeah. river is outside and the tide is coming in and going out. And, and if, if I had the time to pay attention, you could slow down and do this and learn a lot from it. But the garden, it moves around in a circle all year okay. as the garden is designed for. Right. Um, we're, we're, we'll take a walk into the garden and sure. tell us a bit about that. You are listening to Irish Radio Canada and we are in Ireland in uh, Congreve House and Gardens, County Waterford. And we're chatting with Ray Sennett. Ray, um, we're just coming in and I know we're in December here and by the time the listener gets this uh, it'll be after, after we've gone through this season. But you decided to put some lights up even though we're getting into dusk and tell us about the gardens and then we can talk a little about the Okay, well this is the walled garden as you mentioned and there are two parts to it. There is the vegetable garden and then the formal garden. Or as our garden curator Michael White likes to say, there's a garden for the belly and a garden for the eye. So this one has been continually producing fruit and vegetables for the main house and now our cafe for over 250 years. So we think we know a little about them. Growing them. You've got the apple trees that go up the way are for cookers, so they are a little sour. And the ones that face directly into the gardener's house are the nice ones. Okay. With the two best apples right outside his house. Right. Now, now um, before you go on, you just said for the gardeners and outside his house, because that's another feature that's here. There were houses, and I noticed them around in various places. Yeah, like any of those old estates, and, and it was, like I mentioned, it's here since 1750. They built a house around 1760s. Staff lived on the estate. Staff still live on the estate. I live on the estate. The garden curator lives on the estate. There's a guy who lives out at the gate lodge, and there are two people up at the main house, up at Mount Congreve House, for security. So staff still live here. And the quality of housing, like I take it, while these some of these that we see may be the original wa external walls that the interiors would have been done. What kind of accommodation would the staff, senior staff particularly, senior have staff? Had? It wouldn't have. Been, it wouldn't have been up to the staff that people would expect if they were to buy a house today of course it's not going to meet the, the heat ratings or yeah. things like that but they are they're, they're perfectly comfortable houses in, in previous times you would have had your accommodation your food whatever else you needed and then you would be paid something you wouldn't have been paid very much but with free accommodation and access to, uh, the, to belly the, garden, the belly yeah. being fed you were you exactly were, you were privileged and that was enough for a lot of people it, right. it still would be but yes we, we still have members of staff who who live on the estate even we had a guy Paddy Mooney who came in here he's the most recent to have a plant named after him let's stop right there when you said the most recent to have a plant named well, we, after him we've named plants after people I like to say in a, in a totally respectful way in descending order we've named the plant after my daughter then the president of Ireland <laughs> then the prime minister of Ireland and then the Paddy Mooney, who worked here for over 50 years. He came in at about, nine, he's 97, and for his 97th birthday, we named the plant for him. Now, the president is, is what the plant have you named there? This it's the a rhododendron. President Michael D. Higgins, rhododendron. And for the Taoiseach? 
uh, again a rhododendron mainly what we're famous for here and what we do very well if I do say so is produce rhododendrons and camellias for a number of reasons one of them because they have such an enormous stock here we have close to 1600 rhododendrons so the garden curator will splice them and sport them and take signs from them so we produce our own hybrids okay. and if they take and they are of quality enough we'll decide right that's going to be a plant for us here and, and it will only be grown here that's when you can name you it. can name it at you that point. You register then and name it at that point. Okay. Right. Right. So this area of the garden we've just walked into. We walked into the, the formal wall garden or the garden for the eye. It's also known as the August Garden. It used to be the place where they would throw their big parties in many, many years ago. They, they, the last one that was had here was on Mr. Congreve's 100th birthday when he walked, he had a golf buggy and he walked off the golf buggy and he gave a bit of a speech and we gave him two trees, two incredibly rare trees that we should see on a walk up Willomia Pine and also when, known as a when, and when was that? that was in 2007 ok right. he uh, maintained that what kept him alive so long was having a garden to care for and right. that was it, so he died at, at um, aged 104 en route to the Chelsea Flower Show Oh, oh. Um, here on our right, as we're walking, I see that while the lights are changing, uh, you have the glass houses. These, this is a, a Georgian glass house built by MacPherson, is the name of the company. They're no longer in existence. Now, this, thankfully, is one of the areas that we have received funding to renovate. So, or sorry, restore. I have to be careful when we applied for it. I don't want to renovate this. We want to fully restore it back, which is what we're going to do. Now, it's effectively a timber frame on top of stone walls. The old stone walls are fine. It's got a water collection that, that anyone would be proud of from way back when it was built. You can see the weather vane. The weather vane is bent and this part here was damaged in the first proper storm we had here in I don't know how many years, Hurricane Ophelia. Yes. It headed north, which it never, normally the prevailing wind is heading west in this part of the country. But this one headed north, bent that and broke that in. Oh. So this will be totally renovated, sorry, totally restored with glass because that was plastic that some bright spark decided to put in the 80s mm -hmm. because they were convinced it would be cheaper, quicker, and easier to maintain and you can see it, it doesn't work no it simply doesn't, doesn't work over time of course yes. it, and it looks awful awesome. yes it does indeed they are original glass that you can see the way there's a wobble in them the yes, way it, it they can they only be an old glass of a in this side we grow vines grapevines okay so this year we should hopefully have our first crop of wine Okay. I, don't, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I'm going to, I'm going to find out. Experiment <laughs> and see what it is. Now, I'm looking at a wall here. How high? That wall is about 16 foot high. And the local legends are that it was extended during the famine to keep people out, but it wasn't. It's just one of those. And it's, a, it's a red brick. It's a red brick, and that kept people in employment. This allows, and it's not an accident. That, now, it's sunk over time. That's meant to be like an infinity pool. It's meant to look like all one lawn, even though it's four. This is in the wall garden. It's sunk down over time. But the natural slope that's on this garden allows the air to escape. So when you get very cold weather, it stays warmer in here to a difference of about four degrees. So when we had minus 13, which is the coldest in my time that we've had here in 2013, it was a full four degrees warmer in here. Just the difference between that gate inside the wall and outside the wall. That because it reminded your time back in Canada. 
That must have reminded you of your time it, it in Canada. <laughs> but then, you know what you say, if the cold in Canada, it's cold. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's dry cold, it's doable. It depends here. on where. Yeah, yeah I, guess, I guess. You know, because they say uh, when in Ottawa, where we see quite... Um, the, the people from out the prairies consider Ottawa as quite cold and damp. No. And we would consider it dry. Now we've just come out the garden and we're about to head up a hill and uh, we're, what are this, this, this path we're on now? This I think is the, the Bellgate path. What right. we have left is the Bellgate okay. and the Bellgate lawn. The Bellgate named because it had a bell on it. So okay. that would, the owners of the house thought the bell was there so it would inform the gardeners they're coming so they could come and speak to them. The bell was really there to warn the gardeners that the owner was coming so they could start to look really busy. <laughs> and, and neither ever, ever did they figure it out, kind of. Right. But, so it's known as the bell gate, and this is the bell gate lawn and the bell gate walk. Right. And after the house was built, um, and I know the house is, you have to, a long way to go and get that up and running. How big is the house? How many bedrooms were in there? There are 17 ensuite bedrooms in the main house, and then a further 16 bedrooms in the two wings and the corridors between the house. Right. So it was, it was heavily staffed. If anything, it was overstaffed. And from a regional perspective at the time, where in the pecking order would the Congreves have been? They would have been pretty pretty high up there. There was in this area there were four in, in just this area there were four large families. The Christmases, the Dawnies, the Congreves and the Beresfords. The Beresfords still in existence and they became they, they still are. That would be Lord Waterford. He still is Lord Waterford. That's a, a hereditary title and it's passed down. The Dawnies are no longer here and the Christmases are no longer here. And sadly, the Congreves are no longer here, so there's one family that remains. But the Congreves and the Beresfords would have been in, in the top echelons of it, shall we say. Mr. Congreve, in particular, became a very wealthy man. By different means, I suppose, he, he, um, he married an American heiress and then he took over her father's company and diversified into petrochemicals way back when, back in the 40s and 50s. He retired then in the 60s and sold his business interests to a conglomerate from Houston, Texas. And then he retired back to his home, which is Mount Congreve Estate, and spent the rest of his life developing the gardens. So while we were there and you say like, uh, some of the folklore indicates that the wall in the garden there was uh, raised during the time of the famine. During the time of the famine, what were the scenes around here? What was the situation? Uh, fortunately, it was, it was, of course, it was bad like it was everywhere. But this particular area didn't suffer because of families like the Congreves and the Christmases that they provided employment and they provided somewhere for people not only to work but somewhere for people to get fed and, and that was that started then and it's continued to this day that we're this estate and I'm not connected to the family I come from a, a council house in a place called Ferrybank but part of the legacy that they have here is they were very well liked and very well respected because they looked after the locals they looked after the local population so when even in the in the 20s when the civil war was taking place, the house wasn't damaged. The people came in, they told the Congreves, you'll have to leave for a while, we're taking over this house. 
They didn't dem demolish it, they didn't wreck it, they drank everything in the cellar, but that was about as bad as it got. Yeah, I was recently in Huntington Castle, I think they had somewhat similar experience. Yes, Alex, Alex yeah. up in Huntington, I know him quite <laughs> yeah. well, yeah. He was the same, like, there wasn't all bad. Yeah. So the same for the Lord Waterford's place, wasn't burned down. Right. Donnie's wasn't burned down, so there's a, there's a kind of a, there was a lot of respect towards the families here. In the famine, they, they looked after people, and it was remembered for them. So then during the famine here, there would have been mixed farming on here, of course, and the estate was big enough to produce food that, that there wasn't an over-dependence on potatoes in, in the area. No, that's exactly it. There wasn't an over-dependence on potatoes because of that in this area, so people didn't suffer. Right. As they, of course, they suffered, like anywhere, but, but it wasn't as bad as it was in up and up along the west of Ireland which suffered the most right but they had they had a good legacy of, of looking after people around here but they always provided employment so now as we're, we're approaching the uh, front or the back now the front now the front was the back was the back so and it's got that uh, half oval shape that a lot of houses had um, do you know who the architect of this was John Roberts who designed both cathedrals unusually designed the Protestant and Catholic Cathedral in Waterford City and he was the go-to architect of the time and he came out and designed the, the simple square Georgian mansion that is behind the dome at the front. Right. The dome was added in later years as were the walls that joined the two servants quarters. This one now is, is we have people living there and our offices are at that end. It was renovated up to a very high standard for its time in the 50s when Mr. Congrey, the last of the Congrees, took over from his mother at that stage. His father had died uh, in, in 1941, I think. Right. And uh, I see there's a gateway side typical of a lot of these larger houses. Okay. So again, the stables would have been on one side. Stables or are on this side, and we still we used to have the courtyards in there. Now, there's a step that I'll show you on the way back down. Mr. Congreve rode around here on his horse up to age 92 and then he fell off it and broke his leg and before he got a chance to come back they got rid of the horse because as sure as anything he would have came back and got fucking on the horse again because <laughs> that was, he was a very <laughs> determined man oh absolutely right. so that side was the, the stables the coach house was there and then this side was the domestic servants who had moved up a little okay. so you would have had his personal butler would have lived in an apartment upstairs and his personal secretary and so on would have lived up there and then the staff would have been in the corridor which we'll see just past there and then the staff who were lower down the ladder shall we say lived down in the basement. In the basement. Yeah. From the time of its construction up until the Congreves uh, departed, how much of the original um, building st is still there? And like, how much of it survived the periods of time without falling into disrepair? And to that end, how then was it heated given the size of it etc over those periods? It's all, it's all still completely intact. It is the, the square part in the middle and the lower level there. Now I presume it got into some of disrepair maybe around the, the 30s or the 40s before when Mr. Congrey was based in the UK. He was part of the Ministry of the UK Ministry of Defence at that time. But he put in a large scale project. There was anything up to 200 people working here on the renovation of it. The heating system is an enormous boiler underneath it because he had a background in engineering. 
So we had the, the heating tanks, the diesel tanks are up there underneath the woods and then they pump down into here into a holding bay. So the type of design, the, the company that he owned at that time was called Humphreys in Glasgow and they designed oil rigs, train stations, so the type of engineering that went into this was way, way over the top. Right. So there's been no issues, thankfully, since then for us. We have a few leaks every now and then and you get a window broken in, but, but that's it. Yeah. So the house is in perfect condition. And prior to that, of course, I presume there's a fireplace in every room? There still is a fireplace in every room. So it would have been heated. It would have been heated originally by just keeping the fires going, but now right. it's by it's it's completely internally heated with with oil fires. With central heating. With central heating right. from the fifties. Right. And uh, so when you mentioned earlier on then, of course, that you had 16 rooms, was it with en suites? The 17 yeah, rooms in the main house with en suites. And then that the 16. That would very, very progressive also. Oh, yes, exactly. Now, I presume that that came, and, and the, the stories around here is that came from his American wife, Marjorie Glasgow, that she came over here to take up the family seat and when she saw it she decided she wouldn't be staying here so he had to spend about god knows how much money in 15 years getting it up to the standard that she would stay here right and she lived here right up until her death at age 96 she predeceased him so in their period of time here then particularly in in latter 20 30 years um, how integrated involved were the Congress with the local area? Very much so, and, and, and their history, their shared history with Waterford City is completely intertwined. They're the first of the Congreves, John Am or sorry, Ambrose, John Congreve, was a high sheriff of Waterford. Another one became the mayor of Waterford, so they were always involved in the city. One of them was a banker for a time in Waterford City, and they helped develop not only the docks, but the shipping industry that, that came up around here with the Quakers, the Malcolmsons, and things like that. So they, had, they were always integrated as part of the city. He wasn't educated here, none of them were. They were sent right. to the UK, but very much entwined with the city. They owned a couple of other houses around here, and when people fell into hard times, like the Christmas, the Congreve stepped in. Now they benefited out of it, of course, that they bought their land. Right. But they made sure they didn't. They weren't humiliated by it. The Christmases, the Gambles, the Dawnies, They looked after all these people as as their fortunes went down, and the Congreves continued to stay up. They helped out their, their friends and neighbours around here. Also, while he was renovating his own house here, Mr. Congreve paid to renovate all the churches in the area. Catholic and Protestant, and the two cathedrals in town that had been designed, of course, by the same architect right. as designed this house, at enormous cost. And he also gave a lot of money to local charities, which people weren't aware of, including ourselves, people who worked here, until he died. Right. And requests came in, has there been a problem? We haven't received our check this. We didn't know about it. So yeah. he, was, he was a very generous benefactor. Right. He, was, he was a very tough guy to deal with, too, at times. No doubt he was a businessman, but he was a, a very generous benefactor. Right. Well. So when someone is that generous, and particularly where they're helping um, putting money into churches and into other houses like that, the source of his income then would have been his American businesses. Would have been it would have been primarily at that stage, but his investments. He liked to, he, he liked to do investments for fun. Now, he liked to tell us when you go up and, and he'd say, because he had a, a, very, a very nice formal way of speaking to you, that, and as you can tell, I like talking, so it would be, 
when you'd enter into the library when he was older, he would say how he would greet you, you'd know how the conversation would go. Okay. So I'd walk in and it would be, good morning, Mr. Ray. Okay. Now we're going to just gossip about the staff. Who's doing what? Who's got themselves in trouble and whatnot? And if I entered and it was, good morning, Mr. Sinnott. Right. It's all business. Right. Want to know about details, sales, whatever. And he'd say, you know what, Mr. Sinnott, I've been talking to my stockbroker and I've made a good investment into ABC. You should do it. And I think, well, you give me the money, I'll invest it. But <laughs> what am I going to invest? I got nothing. So that yeah. was the problem with it. But, but he was very... Now, the, the one thing I will say is that I was here in... 2006 when we were heading up to a big crash and he, and he had a nice way of speaking and he said listen here old boy, don't be a fool there's a crash coming I've seen this before many times you need to get liquid and I was, what does that mean? and he said you need to sell your house and you need to move in here trust me on this I did, I sold my house and I moved in here and then came the crash and I was sitting, so I'll always be grateful to him for that I was in a good position, yeah. which I've yeah. benefited from since then, which is, which is, he didn't need to do it. I agree. But he gave out advice like that. Fantastic. The reason we stopped here with the chain around this, this is a mastery, a skiok, that Mr. Congreve had this chain put around. To, now, he wasn't a Catholic, he was Church of Ireland, but he was aware of the significance of this tree to people, that they used to hold masses underneath these types of trees, as you know, in and around Ireland. So he wanted this preserved. It's the only tree in the entire gardens with a protective chain around it, including the Willomia pine that is worth a lot of money, the ginkgo bilbao tree. Trees that are worth a lot of money aren't protected. This one is because he was aware of the significance to the locals of this tree. Right. Yeah. We're moving on to another one of the urban myths and legends about this place that I'm not sure if it's entirely true. And the difficulty with these is you just repeat stories that you heard, but I'll, I'll show you anyway. All right. So we're heading up here to... So you are listening to Irish Radio Canada, we're in Congreve Gardens and we're chatting with Ray Sinnott and uh, we're heading up to what's known as the christening tree. We've arrived to what we know as the Whitestone Quarry area. Named because up just ahead of us here there was a quarry and they used to pull the white stone out of it. And in latter years it turned into a water feature. And it was also where Mr. Con Mrs. Congreve used to go to get away from Mr. Congreve. When he'd start denying her about trees or what he was going to do. Like, not, not obviously us here of course. <laughs> but anyone who's married knows that time when you just need to get out and go on your own for a while. So she used to go up here and hide into this little area. Okay. This tree is uh, Monterey Pine that supposedly and reputedly was planted for Mr. Congreve on his birth. It's known okay. here as the christening tree. Okay. You can see by the size of it, like it's got to be 120 years old, which would marry in with the time. This here then is the Willomia pine that I mentioned that was planted on his 100th birthday. Right. That's an incredibly rare, it's known as the dinosaur tree. It was rediscovered in the Blue Mountains in Australia in 1996. There's only about 400 of them in the world, and we have two of them here that we bought. Now, we could only buy them because at the time Mr. Congreve was then the honorary vice president of the Royal Horticultural Society. No matter who you were, you weren't going to get one of these trees. And that's how we managed to get two of them. Okay. So he parked his golf buggy down there, and he walked up here at age 100 and gave us a big, nice speech. Was very, very touched that we had spent whatever it was at the time, 400 euros or something, to get this tree. Couldn't believe it that we cared enough. But he was, he was a decent man and a good employer. 
so we wanted to get him something special for it. So had you any concerns about its ability to survive in the climate? No, not really, because given the, the nature of what we have here is something of a microclimate. We have the river shore, which is tidal, so you get the salt air coming up here. Then you had the first of the Congreves planted a beech forest up here to the west of us, which provides a shelter belt. And the last thing then is the soil here is very acidic. It's very ericaceous plants love living here, and that would be one of them. So that's why the rhododendrons do so well here. And it's unusual for this part of the country to be this acidic. It really is. It's just one of those marriages made in heaven that everything tied into the type of plants he liked, the time of the year he liked to be here is acid-loving plants that like a temperate climate and it was just perfect, perfect base for him. So that does very well. Now the second one that we bought, he didn't know we bought it. We bought this one for him and said we better get a spare just in case. We planted the spare up and he never knew about it. He died afterwards. We planted the second one up in the top woods it's about twice the size of this one. So whether it's something to do with the area or what it is, but the other one is doing right, much, much right. better. Now, you mentioned that you, one of your big things here is the rhododendron, and yes. I know that they're considered to be an invasive species and in some areas of the country are a problem. Um, when it comes to controlling the rhododendrons, is that an issue? No. The rhododendron, and it is an invasive species, a, t a particular type of it, rhododendron ponticum and that's not what we have. There's about four different types, of real types of rhododendrons. Now that stretches into an azalea is actually technically a rhododendron, but people wouldn't know that. They just call it an azalea. It's a, anyway. So uh, the one that's down in predominantly in Kerry, which is destroying the area, is rhododendron ponticum. We have one of them here and we keep him under control, that's for sure. <laughs> He's getting cut down every year. But right. we keep him just as a display because it, it has a nice flower. But these are not that same type. There's a rhododendron yak, there's a rhododendron hybrid, um, Molochomatums. We just have the, the simple rhododendrons here, the dwarf species and the Uinensis species, right. not the ponticum, not the invasive species. So I would imagine you're not trying to graft anything onto the ponticum. Say, no, no. But, it, but it will grow. That's the that's difficulty. <laughs> and I know that from my history as a, a nursery production guy. Ponticum is a hell of a plant to grow. Right. So And I, it kills me, but Japanese knotweed is an absolutely beautiful plant to grow. Yes. But it's an invasive species. Yes. And we have that too. Portuguese laurel is another invasive species that we have but we're aware of them and we keep them under control but, but um, Japanese knotweed is similar to rhubarb and it tastes like rhubarb and you can eat it and that's what they should be telling people not that you have to go and poison it but you can actually eat it that'll take care of it I didn't yeah. realise that but there's a lot of invasive species so this is not ponticum right. this is not the same type Right. so we don't have an issue with so it so where are we going from here? we'll go I think down towards quarry to come along the pagoda. Okay. We're coming down here again, we're heading back towards the river to our left here is the Dutch Steps, named because the real brains behind the creation of the gardens was a Dutchman called Herman Duell. And Herman was the garden director for 39 years. And he, in his native country in the Netherlands, was awarded what they know as the Order of the Orange Order of Nassau. So he is the equivalent of Sir Herman Duell in his native Holland. His descendants still are in the area. And this past year was the 50th anniversary of the planting of these magnolias that we've just started on. 250 of them in a stretch that goes along for about a half a mile. 
and this is the 50th anniversary so we got his widow who's still around she's 98 um, his two sons, his grandsons and his great-grandsons came over and we renamed the walk that we're heading towards the Herman Dual walkway. When he came here he used a technique that they still use there of timber steps and that's why it was called the Dutch steps because everybody said well this is never going to work. Um, so we passed up there, you say the magnolias. Is there a particular time of year that they are particularly beautiful? Yes, but it will change and it's down to the seasons. So it will start generally if you come here in March, you're going to be guaranteed. Now they could start as early as the beginning of January or they could start as late as the end of February, but they will always be out in March. Right. So it, they're, they're known as a precocious flower. So the flower comes out before the leaves which is unusual. It, it's not completely unheard of, but it's unusual for a plant. Right. So at that time of year, everything is bare except for magnolia flowers. Right. And the best description I've heard so far is from a little boy who was in here. He was, his name is Dominic, and he was a son, he still is a son actually, of Greg, who lives down the gate lodge, said, it looks like a pink snake in the sky. And that's exactly what it looks like. Right. And it starts there and winds its whole way around. It's beautiful. It right. really is one of the spectacles to see here. But these magnolias are, as you can tell, they're here 50 years this year. And they're going to become a problem because there were so many of them. He planted 250 of them, which is way too many. But he wanted to get a create an effect. And that's what they used for their planting philosophy throughout the garden. Why plant 30 when you can plant 3,000? Right. And that's what they did. So with these magnolias, they're going to start crowding each other out. Like these pines have here they're going to have to be taken down because they'll poison the ground underneath them. They're just too close. And they were built so that the garden would reach its peak in the 80s and 90s, which is what it did. They didn't have much reason to go on further than that because they never knew what would happen. At the time, there was plans to drive a new road through these gardens. Now, they took a detour, thankfully, and they've taken it around it. But that was one of the reasons that they wanted it to peak so they could enjoy it. Here you can see what they're, they're supposed to recreate what it looks like in the Himalayas, that they're on terraces, because Mr. Congrey spent a lot of time travelling in China in the 1930s. So the gardens was heavily inspired by what he saw then, and it's very Asiatic in its nature and in its layout. Here is our waterfall, which, as you can tell, there's no water on it at the moment. We're not sure why that is. Hasn't been raining? Never. It's like it's not, it, it would like normally run naturally, but it hasn't run naturally now for the past six years. Now, now, I've noticed when we come to Ireland, we're always able to get out into the wonderful outdoors because it doesn't seem to rain when we're here. Oh, well, maybe it's your fault. Then, <laughs> but it is. Like it, when, even when it heavy rains, we get a, a bit of a spillover, but not okay. like it was in previous years. And any idea why? We think it's the new road that I mentioned that was yeah. diverted around it because it's about, it's about 60 metres below where we are now, believe it or not. And and we think it disrupted the uh, underwater the river, water whatever it is. The water table got disrupted and it doesn't flow here. Now what we've done to rectify that is we've built a pumping station down here. Okay. And we pumped the water up and over it in the summer. Okay. But we, we've left it off for the moment, but that's the way around that, which is a bit of a disappointment, but right. It, right. It, it still exists. Now These here are the hydrangeas underplanted with hostas and astilbes. So they're in flower now, although it's getting a little dark now. 
we're stopped here and I'm just looking down at the, at the river here and, and we can see the, um, the new, new bridge. The new bridge until we get yeah, another new one. And what's on the other side of the river? The then? other side of the river is County Kilkenny, an oh. area called Luffany, which then goes on into Mooncoyne. And up this way you have the village of Port Law, what us locals call the lost city of Port Law. That was built in the shape of a hand. And so across here is Luffany, but the locals over there know that as Congreve's Woods because at one stage the Congreve family owned both sides of the river. This entire stretch along here. The, the estate at that point was over two and a half thousand acres, which I know is very small in Canadian terms, but here it was enormous. The estate itself is now down to 568 acres and 100, exactly 100 acres of that is what we've been walking around, the 70 acres of gardens and then there's some areas outside of that, the lawns, the grasslands and the house, so it's about 100 acres of that 568. But that locally over there is still known as Congreve's Woods. Right. So as we amble along here we're heading towards? We're heading towards the pagoda, one of the oh, yeah. hidden treasures of the area. Now this was built to reflect Mr. Congreve's time in China in the 1930s. We're not sure of exactly where he was in China. We know he collected an array of artifacts that were sadly sold at an auction uh, a number of years back, uh, two years after his death in 2013. But this area up here has the pagoda, the contemplative temple. It's completely benign, it doesn't, it's neither offensive or inoffensive. We've had dignitaries coming over. We have people over from Air China actually on a fan trip lately who said, no, it's just, it's a replica of a Chinese pagoda. Now, what is on top of it, which is handy, is a golden egg. And we use that as the clue, the final clue in our Easter egg hunt for the kids, local kids. So when you mention the Easter egg hunt, the local kids, um, stuff like that, do you do much during the year with the community? And we, uh, do, we, we do, we do big events for both for ourselves because well, we need to earn money to keep the place going, but also for the local schools. We bring all the local schools in the area, which is continuing on a tradition started by Mr. Congreve that he used to turn up at the schools around this time of year and give out sweets and prizes and it was it was good PR for its time because anyone you speak to lo in the local area they have a very fond memory of Mr Congreve so we don't have an issue with any of these larger estates people don't come in and steal timber or vandalize anything it's it's well liked so we continue on that and we give a free day out to the local schools they come in for tours you give them a couple of ice creams or whatever it is but we do an easter egg hunt we do a treasure hunt we've added halloween this year and now we're going doing the woodland lights as well now over the years uh, a lot of estates the gates would have been closed to the people on the other side yeah uh, or they would have been allowed in a hundred yards and that was it was there a policy here over the years where the, within reason the locals were welcomed onto the grounds? There was. They used to have charity events like the, the Lions Club Appeal where they would hold a dinner at the back. We've also had a couple of charity events for Oasis House which is a refuge centre for victims of domestic violence inside in the city. But outside of that it was always, if you came here on a particular day, which was Thursday, you could come in and walk around all the time, which yeah. I mentioned. So the locals know it, and, and they would have been 
known to Mr. Congreve. And what he liked is if people had nicknames. He always liked nicknames. He couldn't right. get over how everyone in Ireland seemed. Nobody goes by their own name. Everyone's <laughs> called something else. Right. So he, he enjoyed that. But So he was very well known in the area. The locals, he would just open up the gate and now, people would walk around here. Sir, we're looking at the, the pagoda and how does somebody access that or how was it accessed? There's a path that leads down here at the, at the back of the woods which, which runs down parallel to the greenway and the river. Yeah. So you can walk down there. We don't at the moment have people going down there because the, the world we're living in. This time of year it's very slippy down yeah. there and you have water so it becomes almost uh, an insurance issue. And it's, uh, it's a 17 metre drop down there which is high enough to hurt you. Mm -hmm. But what we'll do as part of the, the funding and the reinvigoration of the garden that I mentioned is we're going to add steps and a handrail so this will be accessible all year round, which would be a great benefit to it. You mentioned the word insurance there, and I know there's a lot of organisations in Ireland uh, who are uh, currently concerned about insurance renewal. Is it something that is a challenge for you guys? It is. It's, it's a challenge for everyone. I don't know what the answer is. I, I can see it in all honesty heading that every individual will have to be insured against every possible outcome. And there's no accounting for personal responsibility or anything like it anymore, it seems to be. But we have had difficulty getting insurance in the past and, and we're very lucky that people appreciate what we are here. You make the notices that look, this is a woodland garden, you need to take care in certain areas and it's slight incline, but it still becomes almost a self-perpetuating company that you need to get insurance and in order to get insurance you need to add different things right. and different safety features and then that brings you into a different realm again of insurance. Yeah. At the moment we have insurance and we don't expect any difficulties to get insurance next year but it's, it's always a cost and it just seems to rise every year yeah, and we've never put in an insurance claim and yet it still goes up. But I know a lot of other operators, smaller gardens, have had to close their gates because they just couldn't afford the premiums yeah. to allow people in. Yeah. And it, it, it's sad, but, but that's the, the world we live in these days. Now, I know also on the left here, as we walk, walk over this area, we, we saw a little earlier, this oval cutout in the wall. That this is oval cutout is called a wedding arch, and that was added later, after the wall was built for a particular couple that worked here and lived here and they liked this area so Mr Congreve had the arch added right. so people could get their photograph taken. Right. Simple as that. He used to do things like that, quirky things at times. And uh, one of the other features that we saw earlier on, uh, we're heading that way again I think, is up towards the temple. Yes. That's the final resting place of Mr. and Mrs. Congreve. Okay. So he he is she predeceased him and she was inside in the crypt, and then he was en route to the Chelsea Flower Show in the UK at age 104, and he died. And he left very specific instructions that when he died he would be cremated and he would be returned to Mount and buried in his favourite spot in the gardens under the temple and right. those wishes were followed out. Now, if he had died here it would have been the same but he happened to die there. But he also left specific instructions because even though he was a very uh, grandiose man in a way with the, with the gardens and the house and all of that, he was also some way humble that he said he gave me specific instructions. I was running the nursery at the time and he used to start off almost as a joke. He'd say, 
I expect I'll die quite soon because I'm 104, you know. Right. And when I do, I don't want any nonsense. I just want you to carry on regardless. Just go back to work. Let the staff know I've died, I'll be buried, and that's it. So, <laughs> I did. But it makes me look horrible. Yeah. Because I went down to the staff. I followed his instructions as given. I said, just so you know, Mr. Kong have died this morning. And um, that's it. Back Carry on. Carry <laughs> That's what he asked for. And that's what he got. Right. So they thought, I can imagine what they thought. Listen to this guy. Get back to work. <laughs> that's what he asked for. So we did it. But he returned in an urn. And he was buried then in his favorite spot in the gardens. Right. And he, he, he remained there forever. <laughs> So, um, the, when you say his favourite spot there, it is, it's at a height? It's, it's one of the highest points, if not the highest point, in the garden. Now, the difficulty about the temple itself, and, it, and it's just called a temple, we don't want else to describe it, we don't have a, a shrine to the man or anything like that, but it has Portland stone on it, which is some way porous, so it ends up with a little algae on it every year. So we make sure to clean it, and it, it's got a, an inscription which is... Um, light and turn, or sorry, light and dark in turn, but love always. And it was because they were they remained married for I think it was 65 years or something like that. Right. And they had a a very dynamic relationship, and they, and and um, it was just a, a good way to end things. I think that they were always very fond of each other, he and his wife, and had a very long happy life together. But even with that, his main love, I always think, was the gardens. His passion was the gardens and his plant collection in here, which is what he devoted most time to. So it goes without saying, I'm sure, that there's more than one plant, or at least one plant, called after him. Strangely, no. Not a no. single plant. He refused it. It's one of those things. And, and um, he has plants named after his friends, his parents, his wife, of course, has one of his favourite plants is Pseudowintri Marjorie Congreve, which is Mount Congreve is famous for almost. It's a beautiful plant. It's originally from New Zealand and it's, um, it's some way medicinal as well. Now, it's also known as the pepper tree, but, but he had this one named for his wife, but he refused to have a plant named after him. He thought it was, I don't know, he, he just didn't want it. And is that some, an instruction that has been there, or do you have the permission, now that he's fast, that you could, should you choose? We could, but, but again, given that... that um, what he has left to, to Ireland, what the, the treasure he's left, I don't feel it would be appropriate to, right. to go against his wishes. So right. I don't ever plan, while I'm in charge, we're not going to name a plant after him because he didn't want it when he was alive and I don't want to go against him now that he's dead. It wouldn't be right. Right. So you mentioned that um, you're about to start putting the spade in the ground, you're going to do a bit of work and yep. planning for an official uh, relaunch or reopening or uh, in April 2021 yes um, so uh, as that time approaches um, how much work have you guys on the drawing board we have the majority of it because the, the plan that was submitted to get this funding was pretty detailed and it was a lot of consultants involved and it was a, a huge team effort between the local authority, Fortia Ireland, which is the tourist board within Ireland, and we also had uh, the local chamber, Skillnet, Craft Council of Ireland, as many people as possible involved in it. 
We've arrived at the temple. We've arrived, you can see the bend in the river. The whole bend in the river, the stretch, you can see his house, you can see it all. Yeah. This was his favourite spot. Yeah. yeah. And that's where he is. Right. Maybe this is a good spot for us to wrap up then. Sure. And uh, in doing so, we need to find out where the website is. Uh, www.mountcongreve.com and then you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook and Twitter, you're on Instagram Facebook. and you're in Ireland's Edge in the East and we're just outside Waterford City between Waterford and Dungarvan and uh, we have been chatting with Ray Sinnott at Mount Congreve Garden and House and Gardens and Ray, it has been a fascinating tour and fantastic to hear the background, the history and all the plants uh, the details relative to the uh, horticulture is it or is it is it horticulture 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 Please. thank you <laughs> <laughs>